Welcome to the latest episode of the I Need to Effing Talk to You podcast. If you are a leader who is serious about building your leadership skills and transforming your organizational culture, you are in the right place. I'm Russell Stratton. And I'm Ken Cameron. Sometimes difficult conversations suck, but you need to have them. So in every episode of the I Need to Effing Talk to You podcast, we ask leaders about the most difficult conversation that they've had with their employees, coworkers, suppliers, customers, or even their bosses. We ask them how the F they managed to get through those challenging moments so that you can learn from their successes and from their missteps, all so that you can become a better leader. In this episode, we need to effing talk to Donna Legault. Donna is Director of Client Operations at Uncommon Logic. Her background includes managing national broadcast media for multi-million dollar clients, lobbying and overseeing government appropriations funding. Donna has been a featured speaker at Digital Summit Portland, Hero Conference in Philadelphia, Stat Crawl in Vancouver, and Healthcare Internet Conference in Austin, Texas, which I believe is where you are calling from today for our interview. Welcome to the podcast, Donna. Thank you so much. So happy to be here. Donna, it's such a great pleasure to have you here. So thank you for joining us. But just so that our listeners can get caught up about why we're so excited to have you with us, give us the elevator pitch. What do you do? And why should anyone keep effing listening? (laughs) Uh, My name is Donna Lego, as you said. I'm the Director of Client Operations at Uncommon Logic, a digital marketing agency here in Austin, Texas. I've been here for about 10 years now and um, been very involved in helping grow the team and the culture here. And as an agency, we have, and boastly and proudly boast, that we are uh, an agency that has a retention rate of 82 percentage plus at this point. And that's very unusual for agencies. So I want to talk a little bit how we deal with our our teams and our people to develop them um, in support of maintaining those really high retention numbers. Absolutely. That's something we really want to hear about because we often talk about organizational culture. And one of the reasons people talk about culture is because they want to increase employee retention. So tell us, what's the secret sauce, the magic bullet that we can all copy and download? (laughs) Look for high performance, high achievement oriented individuals, step number one, that are coming from the same value system that you are. Number two, Uh, And then three, give them all of the runway that you can for them to succeed with really deep training and ongoing support from management and ongoing leadership training and things to service their development beyond just the skill set in their role, leadership training, skill sets in life, financial training, things that actually help them succeed overall, not just here. Can you tell us what you mean by runway? Like, because um, you said in one breath there that you give them, give them all the runway they need to succeed, but also provide them with the supports and the backup that they, and the training that they need. So what's the runway that you're giving them? Is this about failing forward and failing often and learning from those experiences? Picking up on the right cue there. Exactly. One of our main values is always learn and try new things. And as a culture, especially in the digital marketing industry, which is ever-changing, You have to be based on not only always learning and trying new things, but on making mistakes and effing stuff up and learning from it quickly and implementing that into part of your cycle of growth. And how do the clients feel about that um, high tolerance for failure? 
it all comes down to accountability and integrity. We do the right thing. If we discover a mistake, they are going to hear about it from us directly, understand and diagnose why that thing happened, what is the solution and the process controls going forward for it to not happen again. And it's a, it's a diagnosis uh, and an accountability in the conversation for how we can account for what happened and manage for that going forward to ensure it doesn't happen again. And I'm really pleased to hear that you were saying about investing in training and development and leadership development. Um, that's music to Ken and I's ears. We always love companies that are, are investing in training and development because uh, that's where we get our business from. So if anyone's going to copy anything from what Donna's just been saying, invest in training and development would be a, would be a good one. And um, um, But I, I just, there are, there are other things that equally are important and you're aligning to values for the organisation and giving people a chance to, you know, uh, try things and make mistakes and be supported through that um, is super important. But I'd like to come back a little bit to Korea. What made you choose this profession and working in digital marketing? It was a bit of a windy path, <laughs> as you heard in, in your description of my background. I started working initially in my career on the Hill uh, for the government and then moved to a lobbying firm and then made my way from constituency work with a lobbying firm from DC to New York, shifted from political consulting to the advertising sector following one of the election cycles, um, from serving a constituent to serving a client, <laughs> much the same, uh, but used a lot of communication and advertising within my former roles and decided to move into the front-facing role of that uh, in New York with my move to Turner Broadcasting. So what I, I immediately you said, you know, you've been working in politics and then working in advertising. Um, differences and similarities between the two industries? <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> you know, you have to have strong communication skills. You have to really care about people and outcomes. There is a lot of planning and forecasting and evaluation of the financials, re-evaluation of the financials and what's needed to accomplish a goal. So um, more things than you would expect parlay into one another. Okay, this One thing I'd like to just to, to touch on with there is we, we've had uh, a couple of conversations with guests recently when they're talking about um, working with in inclusion and um, avoiding mm -hmm. this sort of polarization in the workplace where you get people having very polarizing views. Politics can be very polarizing. So if there was a, a tip that you could give people from your political experience of how to address polarization in the workplace from your workplace culture experience, what would it, what would it be? Have the uncomfortable conversations, but do them with respect and kindness. A large part of what we do at our agency is we have a, a subcommittee called Uncommon Action where we talk about things that are happening in the world, um, gun violence, uh, discrimination against certain groups of people and how that makes us feel because a lot of us are represented in those different diverse groups across the organization. So here we've actually taken the opposite approach in charging at the uncomfortable conversations, having them, understanding why they're important, whatever the it is <laughs> to each of us, um, and educating and trying to come from a common place. 
I'd imagine that a lot of people would be uncomfortable having those uncommon conversations mm-hmm. in like in that the realm of politics can be so fraught and the realm of social politics and of social action can be equally fraught. So I would, I could imagine that people would be really uncomfortable leading those discussions, maybe not so much participating, but leading. So do you, as an organization, do you bring in an outside facilitator to do that? Do you do them yourselves? Do you have one person in the company who's really adept at that? Or do you take turns? How's that actually happen in practical terms? Uh, It's, it's a combination of, Thus far, we haven't used external moderators at this point, but it is a combination of our head of HR helping facilitate, um, me as one of the heads of operations, helping soundboard on different topics and ideating through things that would be really beneficial for us to talk to as a team. But, you know, for the most part, this is this subcommittee really driving, driving and steering what is important to this group of people are important in our political climate and what are things that we need to be talking about as a team versus leaving them outside of the walls and knowing that they're impacting people inside of the walls. We've flipped the script on that model and invited it in so that we can have really open conversations about where we may be uncomfortable in life outside of here and be able to have that very open dialogue with one another and more from a place of seeking to understand and being able to ask questions and relate personally uh, versus being in a um, more of a place of determining what's right or wrong. Interesting. We've had this real theme of um, people talking about um, how the social society issues and social society are impacting the workplace has been a theme amongst a lot of our guests over the past two, three months. And perhaps not surprisingly so, because there has been so much to discuss. And so much of what's happening in the real world is entering our workplace. So it's perhaps... um, appropriate that we're having so many of those discussions amongst so many of our guests. So thank you for continuing that theme. Um, I wonder if we could ask you, what's the biggest challenge that you feel that leaders are facing in your field? The ability to find what we call ride or dies in our organization, long-term subject matter experts who stick with an organization. Uh, Now we see more than ever Company swap, company jumping, people, you know, generally stay anywhere from two to three years at an agency role before deciding what next step they're going to be taking, likely at another company. So for us, it is really focused on how do we continue to create a culture that creates stickiness and a lot of opportunity for growth and not growth in two and three year cycles, growth in five and 10 year cycles. That's the main thing that that keeps me up at night and that I love to be solving for our next generation of rider dies. What do you call them? Writer guys? Rider dies. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Interesting. The, the people know, that are there with you all the way through. <laughs> right. They'll ride along with you through the whole right. thing. Yeah. Right. 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 You know, and I guess this is in direct contrast with that notion of the boomerang effect. There was uh, <laughs> that term became popular. And I think it was the book called The Boomerang Effect that made that popular. The notion of um, uh, letting people go. 
and let them go off and learn something new and, you know, uh, or move and even move on to another company in the, the, the certain knowledge that they will circle back to you. And by the time they circle back to you, they will have learned more and they will be better employees when they return to you. You're taking the awful approach, which is hold them close, love them, cuddle them, teach them, learn them, help them grow so that they want to stay and become your rider guys. The rider dies. Oh, yes. thank you. Yes, um, we do actually have a combination of both. Uh, we have had some folks that have boomeranged back, which we are very proud of. But yes, we do all that we can in how we invest upfront in competitive salaries, competitive training, leadership development, training far beyond the, the attributes of that person's role and bringing in outside consultants to help on things like financial planning, how to think about buying your first home, real life milestones that that can help people not only in their career path, but in why we're all here <laughs> to accomplish what we want in life. Okay, so it seems that you, what you're, you're doing really is is looking after that that sort of whole person and not just the bit that that shows up for work. So that idea in uh, it's not what I want from you today. It's also what you can offer five years from now, it's what the milestones that you're going to be facing along that journey, how can we support that to make things um, smoother, I suppose, for people as they as they progress through their career. Exactly. It's really important. That's what that's why we're here. <laughs> in in the service of bigger overarching goals in our lives. So the more that we are able to help um, our our teams on those life milestones, the more that we are really invested at the right level together on not only the future of the business, but more importantly, the future of, of each individual at the business. So there's something I'd like to circle back with. You mentioned earlier on about where you were part of the culture was selecting people that were high performing. So how do you identify high performing and I'm thinking particularly around people who haven't got that long track record. You know, they've been in the industry 15 mm-hmm. years. You can probably get an idea what their performance is and you know the sort of companies and organizations they work with. But if they're younger, newer into the industry, how do you gauge whether they're a high performer or not? There are a few markers that we look for. One in particular has been, are you a competitive athlete? We have tons of former division one players of name the sport <laughs> or high school captain of the lacrosse team, et cetera. So that, that's a really great competitive marker for us. Someone who plays to win is very high achievement oriented. We also ask very specific questions in our interviewing process about personal or professional obstacles or barriers that an individual has overcome and ask them to get, you know, really raw with us on what those examples are and relate to us about how it impacted them and and not just them, but how it really changed who they are as a person. So understanding how someone can be faced with, you know, a childhood diagnosis of leukemia and have overcome that or have been faced with, you know, the loss of a parent and having to move in with their grandmother in elementary school and re rework their whole lives and what they knew and how that changed them as a person and how they, how they work in life. Um, things like that are really important for us to know. And, and we do the same. 
while they're being deeply personal with us and and raw about their life experiences, we we respond in kind and try to let them know us in the same way. Well, that makes so, total sense in you in you saying that it's not simply. Um, okay, I'm looking for the best people who were the necessarily the best performers, like the best athlete who was they were somebody or the best person who got the you know uh, the honors in their class. That's one part of it, but also how you did people dealt with adversity and do they keep going? Do they bounce back? Or yes, they're a great they're a great performer when things are going well, but when things aren't going well. They, they, don't, they don't perform. So there's sort of balance of sort of natural talent, but also the ability to be able to um, work your way through adversity and come out stronger the other side seems to be a bit of a, a, the, the theme that I'm, I'm, I'm hearing from you. So hopefully I'm understanding that correctly. Exactly. How do they handle their hard? And skill set is certainly a component of, of what we assess up front. And it's, it's funny, as a marketing agency, we actually don't hire a lot of folks with marketing degrees. We, for the most part, are looking with col- for colleagues with backgrounds and degrees in statistics or mathematics or uh, predictive modeling. We found that people who are really good at math thrive in the digital sciences part of what we do and the analytics part of what we do. And then we teach them the marketing part, but they've got <laughs> the analytical part and the love of deep data as part of their skill set. There's there's a little bit of a uh, red flag for me when we talk about um, hiring um, elite athletes or division one athletes in, in that they, the, these elite sports have been getting a bad reputation lately because of so much um, ill behavior, bad behavior by bad performers. So individuals who are, you know, the, the extent of hazing or the extent of sexual misconduct um, at the amateur sport level, bleeding into the professional sport level. So I wonder, is there a, and, and then a lot of that comes from people being maybe not the bad actor themselves, but unwilling to speak out. And organization, you know, amateur sports organizations that are unwilling to call out be, uh, this kind mm-hmm. of behavior. How do you, um, you know, when you're selecting these individuals, how do you compensate for that? Well, we're looking for folks who uh, do not do not demonstrate characteristics of groupthink. Who, yes, are team minded in their want to accomplish something together and and with a common goal but they give examples of when they have spoken up uh, with something that they disagree with. Or we ask for examples of times that they have had to resolve a really heated conflict and, and why. So you're right. There are very specific things to be able to get at in various subsets of performance cultures. And you have to ask a lot of different questions. It's not just looking for one guiding principle. It's making sure that you're using a series of values to inform how you're evaluating that candidate and posing the right questions based on that. Mm. 
Oh, that, that, that's really useful to hear. I, I remember a great quote from Brene Brown that I'm going to be paraphrasing, but it, she was interviewing an athlete from Penn State who had taken a lot of flack for being one of the athletes who was speaking out against the uh, coaching scandal that had occurred at Penn State. And when asked about his decision, and it was a male young athlete, when asked about his decision, he had said that he made the decision to speak out because of his love for the institution, Penn State. Whereas so many others were staying silent because of their loyalty to the organization, his interpretation was that it was more loyal to the organization to call out this poor behavior mm-hmm. than to remain silent, which was a controversial stance for this young, brave soul to take, but seemed like exactly the one that you'd be looking for. It is. And we try to cultivate that in having a very solutions-focused culture as an agency. We have multiple things that we do throughout the year to invite feedback from our organization, from everyone across the organization at all levels. An annual company survey where we ask over 120 questions about how do you feel about culture, work-life balance? Do you have the resources that you need to be successful in your role? Do you have the training that you need to be successful in in your role? Do you feel that management and (laughs) the directors and CEO are involved in your ongoing development? Asking questions like these and what would help you be better at your job? What resources do you need that you don't have? What things um, are not going the way that you need them to and why and how can we help? Continuing to court information like that ongoingly, whether it's in an annual survey or monthly team syncs that we have with our our full analyst team, the leadership team meets with them to get input uh, or questions on on things that they may have questions about that are as of the moment or emergent problems that that may be starting uh, starting to percolate across the team. We try to get at those, not just in an annual survey, but in a monthly meeting with leadership, and then outside of that in two other different types of meetings that we conduct with the CEO, where we just have small group discussions, where everyone from the organization is given a list of six to eight questions that are relevant to some topic uh, for the year. Um, One, as of recent years, has been how has COVID shaped you and, and what you want from your workplace, and how do you want those things to change in in the policies of the organization. That was a wonderfully rich conversation where we knew we were inviting a lot of feedback and a lot of change based on, you know, having a very open kimono (laughs) discussion like that across the whole organization. But you have to in order to uh, meet change as change is happening and not wait for it and be stuck behind it. Okay, that's great. Thank you, Donna, for, for sharing some of those examples there for our listeners about you know how you specifically you know tackle some of those what could be potentially sort of thorny issues, but also allowing people that opportunity to to come together and, and, and share. So we're going to take a short intermission here for a moment, but when we come back from our advert break, we're going to hear about the most difficult workplace conversation that Donna has had and how she dealt with it. We'll be back in a flash. Okay, this is going to be a different kind of ad. One of our clients wants to do the pitch for us. That client is Dean Jessen, who's operations manager at Volker Stevan Highways. 
Dean was a guest on our podcast in episode number 36. And at the end of his interview, he surprised us by telling our listeners just what he thought of our work. Russ and Ken, I appreciate the work your team does with managing difficult workplace conversations. Volker Steven has had the pleasure of going through that a few times now. And I know some other parts of our companies are also engaging that with yourselves and Blue Gym. And just for the audience's information, we know in a work environment, it goes without saying that there's different views and perspectives out there. Agreements, disagreements, conflicts, etc., are going to take place. And, and what we've really benefited from, from the work your team does, is that you address these conflicts or disagreements. You work with the company, you address their specific conflicts and disagreements, and you make it a real-life setting by bringing actors and mediating and keeping that context going and the discussions going. So it prepares our leaders in Volker Steven and others in the leadership role to be ready for these conversations when they do take place. So really appreciate the work you gentlemen do as well in your team. We had no idea that Dean was going to say that, but we're really glad that he did. For years, Ken and I have been leading these workshops on how to navigate difficult workplace conversations. Because we use live actors to play your difficult employee, customer, supplier, or boss, it's as close to the real thing as you can get without having the real problematic individuals in the office with you. And let me tell you, it's a whole lot psychologically safer. If you'd like to find out more about our live workshops or our online courses, then head on over to INeedToEffingTalkToYou.com. And now, back to the episode. Welcome back to the I Need to Effing Talk to You podcast. We're speaking today with Donna Legault. So let's take a look at the most difficult workplace conversation that you've had to conduct on. It could be with an employee, coworker, customer, or even your boss. And also, let's stress that you can keep it as anonymous as you feel you need to. Uh, you know, you can either um, uh, change the name or the description of the person, whatever you need to make it as anonymous as you feel you need to, to protect the identities of those that we're speaking about. But talk us through what happened. Sure. Um, for me, as a leader of the organization, there are things that, you know, I solve day to day, operations issues, capacity planning issues, uh, client management issues. And those are, you know, part of a, an ongoing troubleshooting <laughs> and solutioning part of my role. And those are never the, the real hard ones for me. Uh, the ones that are the most challenging are when our anyone on our team uh, is going through something something beyond here, uh, something that I'm not able to directly impact in what I can help them manage as components of their role. <laughs> so I can't just help reduce some of this client capacity. I can't just you know help coach on how to present this to, this presentation to get the best outcome. I can't just coach this person on how to have the right development conversation. Um, so to be more specific, the ones that are the hardest for me, um, and, and a specific example of that is uh, over the last few years, um, one of my employees uh, lost a parent and it was very unexpected and just brought them, you know, down to their core of, of who they were. Uh, and that really changed who they were here uh, at the organization. And 
um, what they were able to do in their role. So they were having a very traumatic experience outside of work that was starting to impact how they were performing at work. And those, especially in a situation like this, are, and that was the hardest <laughs> for me because it was a, a very traumatic event that she was trying to navigate and needed someone from the organization to help her navigate that situation in the business place. Um, so what specific options does she have here? Things like Family Medical Leave Act um, to be able to, you know, go on short duration leave stints to be able to help support their family and things that they needed to do to wrap up the estate, um, support the, the rest of the siblings. Um, <laughs> they, they needed a, a therapist recommendation. They weren't leaning on anyone except for family. And they were all not lean-onable at that point. <laughs> so everyone was you know, going through that same traumatic experience together. So having an outside perspective from the organization say, I don't think that you have the support that you need externally and here are some resources that I can give you that are therapists that either I have seen or a partner of mine has seen to be able to give them a, a vetted solution of resources that I trust and I know they can trust uh, as they continue on really what was the hardest thing that they'd experienced in their life at that point. And one of the things that we found on um, on our workshops, and um, as our listeners know, you know we will work with people to, to have give them practice in real time having difficult workplace conversations and dealing with emotions that they might face um, from a coworker or an employee or whoever it might might be, and one of the challenges a lot of people find is dealing with emotional responses. So they're quite mm-hmm. good, comfortable dealing with facts and figures and logic, but when it comes into emotion, that's where they start to feel a little bit uncomfortable. Um, and obviously, bereavement would be one of those instances, which is a lot of emotion. There is some logic, but there's a lot of emotion there. Um, what would be you know you found useful the tool that you've used to help yourself be in a position to be able to manage somebody's emotions during that time so that you're able to support them um, but also be able to see be empathetic and not just you know well let's cut to the chase and here's six practical things that you can do so is there a tool that that, that you use that would be helpful to our to our listeners yes the, the main thing that you can do is listen. And, and understand what they're going through. And in, in this instance, what I did was took this, this person offsite. Um, we were supposed to go to a lunch uh, to talk about how they were doing, um, what, what they think they may need. Me bring some of you know, the policy options, certainly, but the, the human options too for what, what other types of resources I can provide. And what, what happened was um, we left uh, the, the company site 
and ended up just sitting in my car for two and a half hours talking uh, instead of you know going into the restaurant. And that was what was needed at that point, a, a place to be able to you know, sit in a bubble and talk about the things that, that they were experiencing and talk more than anything. Um, what I saw was that they needed to talk and just unload everything that they were, they were dealing with from the strain on the other parent to the strain on the siblings, to the strain on the financials, uh, to the strain on their children and the loss of the, the grandparent. And that was the most important thing to do, be there. This isn't a conversation that you have with HR in 30 minutes to try to figure out what policies and procedures may help. This is a, a moment where you, you sit with, with your team and really understand where their spirit is, where their heart is, um, where their stress levels are, and, and find a, a way to address those things specifically versus what a policy can do. And I, I listening on the, I was um, you know, just smiling to myself as you were describing that because uh, when you mentioned it's not a conversation you're going to have with HR for 30 minutes about what the policy says. And obviously there's some background work you might do beforehand to find out well, what support there is. But we often have that with uh, at our workshops when participants are practicing this with one of our um, live actors being the person who's going through the situation. And people will go, well, um, I think I'd get HR involved. And they're like, well, the person sitting often will come back at them and say, well, I don't know anybody in HR. I know you. I've worked with you for two years in character. I don't know the people in HR, so I want to speak to you. I don't want to speak to I want you to sort of pass me on to somebody else. And I think that was what I, that's why it made me smile when you said that, because it was like an acceptance that as somebody's, um, you know, they're their manager, their supervisor, their, their leader, their they're the person that they've chosen to tell you about about this. And that's who they want to talk to. They're not wanting to talk to somebody in HR or somebody elsewhere. They're wanting to speak to you. And the other thing I thought was interesting, as you were saying, was that sort of flexibility that, well, we were going to go and have lunch, but then when we got there, really, we sort of stayed in my car and we sat there for two and a half hours, you said. Well, that's what the person needed at the time. So meeting where they were and what they needed and not what perhaps was your, or my plan was I was going to take them to lunch and we'd have this mm-hmm. conversation. Well, then it didn't seem they wanted to, that, that would be appropriate. So I'm going to meet them where they need to be and we're going to deal with what they need to deal with and, and, and listen and, 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 and seek to understand. So, you know, they were two of the messages that I picked up from there that if people sometimes actually want to speak to their, you know, their, their manager about something and the manager needs to be flexible enough to say, okay, it's not about me. It's about what you need. So let's, let's, let's focus on what you need. Exactly. I mean, being an agency that you know works with clients that are people and you know develops teams that are people you know our first and foremost mission is being a, a people driven organization and um, in order to do that you have to really invest the time and and get to know what your your team needs in situations like these in the, the ones that are you know, potentially the hardest ones that that they will ever go through in their time at the organization and, and be there for it. 
and adapt to what it needs based on what that, what that person shows you in that moment. I was also drawn to the notion that you had this conversation in the car, which you described as a bubble. And I, 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 I've been astonished at how many parents recently uh, who are friends of mine, I don't have children myself, but my parent, my friends who are parents will often say that the, the most uh, um, insightful conversations they have with their children are in the car. You know, part of it is they can't get away from me, but, but, exactly. say. <laughs> but the other part is that it is that, it is that safe bubble. It is that safe container. So people can have those conversations. And so I'm not surprised that it was in the car that provided that safe space for you to be able to have that conversation. It, it was a really, um, raw space and, you know, there weren't outside contributing factors, you know, no one to overhear the conversation, no plates being shuffled around to distract, just sitting in the moment, being able to relate about um, the, the struggles, the, the depression, the um, not, not knowing what to plan for next or how to financially plan for it. And it, it was the right, it was the right place and the right decision. And each situation like that or variation of will have a different outcome or need based on what the person needs in the moment. And that's why it's really important to be a leader, an empathetic leader who is looking for cues from your team and what they need and always thinking through the organizational component of what what the organization can can provide yeah 100 and I, I i was very taken with that point about you saying you know you're being in the moment with people and being comfortable with being being in the moment with them and one of the things that that we often say to participants on our workshops with this not exactly the bereavement example but that you know emotional type example is you're, you're not expected to have to solve this for somebody now, you were able to offer some support, maybe some resources and some direction, but often the people, somebody isn't looking for you to solve the problem, to take it all away from them. They just want somebody to sit there and listen to them and seek to understand and be, be empathetic. And one of the tools that the Ken has a great exercise he does with people is just helping them get into just allowing somebody to talk about it. And that's all you have to do. And some, we've often found, haven't we, Ken, that people will say, Oh, so I, I don't have to. I don't have to solve them. No, you don't have to solve the problem. You just have to listen to the person. Maybe some solutions may come up, maybe not. But you just have to listen to them. Don't feel that you have to fix it for them. And I think that was an encourager for uh, you know the, the the manager in that situation that they won't be expected to fix something. I was working with a coach just last week, and uh, it was my speech coach who was helping me with a presentation that I had to give. This gentleman is a former theater director, and he was talking about presence and executive presence, a term that's used often. And he had this great, great cue for me. You know, presence is really about, or an exuding presence is really about being in this moment right here, not thinking about the next moment. So in terms of when you're giving a presentation or a PowerPoint presentation, it's about talking about this slide right here, not thinking about the next slide. And when you're having a conversation with someone, it's about listening to what they're saying in this moment, not thinking about what you want to say about what they said a moment mm -hmm. ago. 
but about listening and being purely present in this moment. And that is what really conveys executive presence. And I thought that was such a wonderful insight that he'd offered us. Indeed. <laughs> I think for, for leaders now, you will see so many articles on empathetic leadership and that being the primary character attribute that is, <laughs> is sustaining organizations, is you know, driving and separating some organizations from another. And it all does boil down to, does the leadership have the right pulse on an understanding of how their teammates feel um, how they feel they are doing in their roles, how they feel they are doing in their development trajectory, and how they feel in life more broadly, and making sure that there's a very open discussion and a very um, open culture of communication around things such as those uh, are the ways that you can really stay tapped into what your your team and your organization needs. Uh, and they will change quite frequently. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, well, it reminds me of something that a, a colleague of mine said once around, uh, you know, being a, a good leader. And he said that your team needs to know that you care more about them than you do about yourself. And that you're watching. Yeah, absolutely. So what we'd like to do before we close is always give an opportunity for our guests to tell our listeners, uh, is there something that you're currently working on, something you're excited about? Um, that you'd like to share and you think that they should effing care about. So uh, if you've got something, here's, here's a chance to share. One of the more fun things that I'm working on right now as, as the director of operations that sits over HR and our cultural initiatives, we continue to revisit how we attract talent, <laughs> how we hire, what are the attributes that we're looking for, and right now, over the last few months, I've been working through a re-review of the culture attributes that we're looking for and building out a new system of tests to identify those behavioral attributes and start to identify that a little bit more upfront in our hiring process based on a series of behavioral tests that we're giving. And then using that output and then helping retrain our management team on what are the markers that we're looking for and why? What are the indicators of success and why? And how can we all be aligned in our thinking on what is the most successful candidate for us? So that's been a really fun culture and hiring project that I've been overseeing over the last few months and all in the vein of us continuing to work to be as sticky as an organization as we can and to continue to find you know, teammates who want to come grow the organization, be a part of, of how we continue to build and refine it. So that that is a very fun project for me. Fantastic. Thank you for letting us know about what's exciting you in your workplace, especially when you talk about all the things that are so exciting in your workplace. To be able to highlight that one is really special. So thank you very much. And that wraps up this episode. Listener, we hope you enjoyed it. Remember to subscribe via Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Share the link with your friends and colleagues. And we can, you can always reach out to us at the email address in the show notes. Goodbye for now, and we'll effing talk to you again soon. Goodbye. Goodbye.